This is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are currently studying the Gospel of John. Last week we began Chapter 5, which is uh, generally referred to as the Pool of Bethesda. And we made it all the way to verse 15, which is... Uh, Christ meets a uh, 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 maimed man, a, a person that's paralyzed. We really don't know exactly what his issues were. And uh, heals him by the pool of Bethesda. And then he is challenged by ministers uh, of, of the temple who were probably Pharisees, although it doesn't say that in the text, uh, because he healed him on the Sabbath. Because Sabbath is against the law to do any labor on the Sabbath. And healing people of a lifelong illness would be considered labor. And so they're very strictly applying the laws of Moses in this case. And they're trying to find something to bring uh, against Christ. They're just looking for a reason. You can see there that they are pretty uneducated people in one sense. Because to think that healing somebody is labor, you're not doing any labor. All you're doing is saying, get up and walk. There's no labor to that. Well, he told him to pick, pick up, up his, bed. his bed. And he that, I guess, so is the, the, the labor involved. You can't they lift. They how many steps they took on this Sabbath. So it was, it's, it's not about working like a job, like fixing a car. It was about physical activity. Physical activity. Because the Pharisees had gotten to the point where they let them Which is a good indication of how legalism was. Uh, As in uh, all legalism, there's also a level of hypocrisy that goes along with it. And to this day in Jerusalem, on the Sabbath, uh, there are a number of civic things that have to happen, like the street lights have to be turned on and off and stuff like that. And they, well, yes, yes, they literally go out and hire a Gentile who they think is going to go to hell and hire him to come in on the Sabbath to take care of all of the civic duties. And they call him the good Goya because he's allowed in. Usually you wouldn't allow him into their even their compound because it's all you know, uh, Orthodox Jews, but, but a good guy is allowed in because he's taking care of all the dirty work. Right. It's the ultimate in hypocrisy. Yes, Ken? Oh, but yeah, you're talking about measuring the steps, which, you know, now we have step counters for that. Um, but uh, I believe even some Orthodox Jews are not allowed to travel more than a mile. Yeah, on, on, depends on how serious it takes. Yeah. Is that the limit? Yes, yeah, the mile, I believe. That. I did do a story about a minister and a rabbi that lived close together. They would do things for each other. I used like the pastor would go over to the uh, uh, the rabbi's house and do stuff around his house on Saturday so he wouldn't have to and then the <coughs> rabbi would do things for him on Sunday so he could come home from church and rest. Then they had to claim the citizen of the address. Yeah, yeah. But it, I thought it was kind of nice. Uh, I thought it was kind of nice. It is kind of nice when you think about it. Yeah, like, uh, I it think it's kind of nice. It'll, I, it's extreme, I think. Yeah. But, but it was. Uh, that's a nice, generous, uh, that was just extra. So there's a guy living next door that you think is going to go to hell. So you use him in every possible way. Yeah, but it was it was two-way street. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh 
Okay, fair enough. <laughs> you go to Jew hell, you go to Gentile. Uh, <laughs> man, okay. okay. <laughs> okay but don't moving on, moving on. It reminds me of the episode from The Simpsons saying there's the Catholic part of heaven and the Protestant Um. So, John is one more time not writing a chronological history of Christ's ministry. He is sharing specific instances that he himself witnessed in most cases and have not been reported in the other synoptic gospels. And so we have a little bit of verse at the end of this that suggests that a number of things kind of happened that John skips over here. Uh, and he's combining stories, you know, to get to his point, like we do when we're telling a story. So he's skipping over some sections. Later, Jesus found him at the temple. So, so this happened at Bethesda, but then later he runs into him at the temple and he says, stop sinning, because he knows the guy is sinning. And then, uh, he, and then the guy goes and rats on Jesus and says, that's the guy that healed me. And the Pharisees then bring charges against him. But he's in the temple at this point. So because Jesus was doing these things in the Sabbath, verse 16, the Jews persecuted him. And he does, John doesn't come in to say how they're persecuting. And what are these things? It's not just the healing of the guy by the pool or telling the guy to take his mat and go, other things are happening. He, he's left out stuff. But this was the big one and worthy of note. So he gives this as a big example. So Jesus says to them in the temple as they're challenging him, and then we launch into the rest of this chapter, which is almost entirely in red letter. And so... This, is, this story that John gives us is a setup for Christ's teaching that he's then going to deliver in the rest of this chapter. So it's a kind of a dense chapter. So to begin with, uh, the Pharisees are challenging him on breaking the Sabbath, and then Christ uh, defends himself. So I'm going to read it down to verse 30, and then we're going to come back and unpack this as much as we can. So beginning again at verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work at this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his father, making himself equal to God, the ultimate blasphemy. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Okay. So Christ says, 
my father is always at his work to this day and I am also working. So he basically says, I am the son of God. And they challenge him on that. And suddenly Christ, weirdly, shifts into third person. And I really wanted to make something of that. But we're dealing with a translation from one, one English to one language to another, and there's really not a tense in Greek. And I think this may be more translational Tinsdale stuff than anything else. Uh, what? I, I, well, I want to say he's trying to, he's speaking broadly in third persons, not claiming himself to be Christ, but he just did. So that's not the point. So I, I, I really don't know why it's all in the third person. Uh, but he says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. And I think he's, to make, he's maybe doing it to make his broad metaphor. So this is how fathers and sons work, you know, is what he's saying. So a son can't do this unless he is authorized by the father. He can only do what he sees his father doing. What the father does, the son also does. So he, a son is subservient to a father, and this is how it would work in a household, particularly on a, on a farm where you know dad is running the ranch and the son is doing what dad says. The son has the authority to speak for dad when dad isn't there because he's the foreman, if you're putting it in Texas terms. Uh, but he's still operating under the covering of his father's authority. And so Christ is saying, I as the Christ, as the son of God, am operating under my father's authority. And so that's the picture he's showing them. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show you even greater things than these. Like you haven't seen anything yet. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Okay, what are we talking about there, Yak? Are we talking about raising the dead? He just, he just raises the dead from whoever he wants to. There's, there's two and he leaves everybody else dead. That just seems so unfair. Well, there's two points here. It is not, he's, it's not only a resurrection from the dead, but it's also a spiritual quickening or awakening. Oh, there we go. See, I baited and baited, and you finally jumped in. Thank you. Um, so it could be he's, he's referring to a spiritual death rather than a physical one. Or both. Or both. It's really it's inconclusive, and it can be interpreted either way. Part of the raising of the dead was to establish his messiahship, too. Yes. Can I read this verse the way my Bible reads it? It says, okay. in 21, it says, For as the, as the Father raises up the dead and quicketh them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Quickeneth? Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> That's Tinsdale. That's Tinsdale. <laughs> <laughs> that is old plain English. You know, like... Yeah, like Tinsdale. Tinsdale. Did you get the reference? We'll talk yeah. later. Okay. So, uh, to whom he's pleased to give it. Moreover, and I have this all highlighted from the last time I studied it. The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Oh, that opens up a whole 
box full of doctrinal issues, don't you think? The Father judges no one, but Jesus judges people? Aren't they the same person, Lester? I think they're the same person. You've got to be careful how you word things, Kevin. And they're separate people. <laughs> or isn't it the same thing? Both? It's both things, right? So when I say Jesus and God are the same person, because they're part of the Trinity, they're the same person. Well, if you look at the doctrine of the Trinity, it says there's now you got to go same essence or nature. I tried. Anyway, it gets kind of complicated, but no, explain it. But I got to drive home with them hearing all this. And it kind of reminds me of I read a little bit of different views on Trinitarianism, like social Trinitarianism and Latin Trinitarianism. Well, let's skip that part and just explain the Trinity part. But anyway, it's basically, it says three persons with the same essence or nature or substance, if you want to put it that way. And uh, if you go over to Acts 10.42, there's a scripture here that talks about Christ being judged. And it says, he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. I thought that, never mind. Just be you, Kevin. Yeah, I thought the quick and the dead had to do with gunfights. What do you mean, the quick and the dead? Huh? Well, it's... In, in your magical translation over there. That I, I don't have that term. What does the term mean? Well, quick means that those that are sinning and those that are dead. Dead spiritually. Okay. Spiritual death. Quick doesn't mean alive? I thought quickening was means... Quickening alive, which means death. Once again, we're talking spiritual, physical. There's both. But whatever the emphasis of it is here. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but no one is entrusted, but, but, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So does Jesus judge people? That's what it says. Mm-hmm. But God doesn't judge people? He's given that, he's given that job over to Christ. Because he dies for our sins. He is our substitute, so he has the right to judge us. Is this a reference to Revelation at the final day of judgment when so. Christ is sitting there judging everybody? I think so. Okay. Does he not, because of his taking the sins of the world upon himself and he was innocent, he's, he has the right to So he's the, oh, he is the proper judge. He there. is the proper judge. Okay. Am I right? Can I, can I read some scriptures here? That okay. <laughs> it says... Because in Acts seventeen thirty one it says, Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, wherefore he hath given assurance all, unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead, which is Christ. And in Romans two sixteen it says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Okay, now apply it. Follow it up. Explain. Well, he's basically saying that what he said, God has turned all of this authority over to Christ. Ordained him. Ordained him now to be the judge of all people and all the sins that we commit. And he's going to have the right on that day of judgment, that final day, he's going to be the one sitting on the throne of judgment. By the authority of the Father. Yeah. It's, it's like when I pastored Liz was my associate pastor. When I was not there, I had to have this little issue with some people in the church that if Liz Liz speaks for me I'm, 
I, I had ordained her authority over her when I vacationed and she was left in charge. She had my authority to act as. And if you hadn't have said that, then nobody would have probably listened to that. I shouldn't have had to say it, but I had to. There's right. <laughs> 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 certain scoundrels I had to re-emphasize that to. And she is my associate. We're talking about Christian. Oh! Why I want sinners in my church and not Christians. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fair, fair, the fair, sinners fair. caused me less trouble than the Christians okay. did. Uh, <laughs> it's, like, it's like a storefront church that I, I worked in with a pastor friend of mine. and we, we I was doing having to do everything in that church pretty much. I cleaned the church. I was Sunday school super, superintendent. I was the pastor to filled in for him when he couldn't be there because he worked for UPS, which was long hours, made sure the heat, the air was on, the church was clean, Sunday school superintendent, I was doing it all, and his mother was a church destroyer, that's the only kind word I can think of her, so wow. she, everywhere she went, she destroyed churches, she wow. caused, same thing that woman, can I tell you what, you got yeah. women all over them. yeah, so, but anyway, so, and people started thinking I was the pastor, because that, they saw me and they saw me doing everything and then she got jealous and so she caused all kind of trouble and finally it wrecked the church to the point we had to close the door well no I'm just I'm just making a point that there's people in the church like that it doesn't and I you know I asked the pastor I said are you gonna let your mother do this and he said well it's my mother yeah it's hard to shoot down mom but it was the authority of God given over to Christ Christ is the high priest he fits that role He's the only one that has the right to judge us because he had no sin. See, I've always wondered, did, you know, it says he's, he's after Melisheldak, the priesthood of Melisheldak. And I'm, there, you really can't find a lot on Melisheldak, okay? I, I know I'm not saying that word correctly. It, well, just, just go on. It's all right. If you say it loud and consistent, it's okay. Go ahead. But, you know, there, I've always wondered because there's not a lot you can find in history of that person. So I've always wondered, you know, how that person was connected to Christ. But he had great authority too. And so Christ, he had almost the same authority that Christ had because he said he was after that priesthood. Which means so, so God can give who God wants to give the authority to do these things. Well, in verse 22, he gives it to Christ, the Son, as judge. So verse 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not, and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Um, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And I wonder if he was referring... You don't have to go down the aisle. You don't have to be voted in by the Baptist church. What was that? What was that? You've never been voted in by a Baptist church? I've been voted in twice. Thank you. Uh, it's long and complicated. It's complicated. Um, 
yeah, this is very simple. You know, we you don't have to go forward at the, you know and accept Jesus up at front. There is there's we just believe in Jesus Christ. I've always said salvation with God is not complicated. Okay, I'm baiting the ministers in the room. Doesn't the devil believe in Jesus? Well, I guess it kind of don't demons believe in Jesus. I mean, yeah, I they get Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they, and they shall live. I wonder if that's a pretext to, you know how that it said the grave, after he died the graves opened up and people saw the dead walking around Jerusalem for days, for 40 days. I wonder if that's a prequel to that. I think it's not spiritual. But I mean, what was your bait again about the demons and the devil? Was that your bait? I tell you the truth whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That is very simple and straightforward. It, it, it doesn't talk about a new birth. It doesn't talk about baptism. It doesn't talk about joining a church. It's believe on my word. So what's our definition of belief? So does there have to be an epiphany? Which is a big argument that's gone back a ways, you know. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's when, when you, there's one thing about believing in him and then making him Lord of your life. Uh, agreed. Doesn't say Lord called, of your life, but it goes on. To, he expands later on <laughs> because I mean, like like you said, if we just took that for face value, black and white words, the devil, the devil and the demons are saved there. But I think yes. it expands differently. You got to you got to think a little bit more because you know they're. they're well, doesn't he? Doesn't Jesus also say later on that as speaking to the teachers, you do wise that you believe in God? Mm -hmm. So does the but they're missing a piece here because there's another place where Jesus said no one can come to the Father except through the Son. Which, yes. Which means the, the demons can't come through Jesus to get to the Father because they, they you know, they, well, you back they, up. they fear that name. I mean, they tremble at the name of Jesus. So there's a huge difference here that they kind of left that piece goal. out. Back, back up to 23, though. So that he, so that he, oh, so that everyone will honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. So that goes back to 23, verse 23. But when you think, and there is a lot, which is that's that's the danger of taking one passage of scripture. Bible and de developing a whole doctrine around it. Agreed. You know, because 
that's what makes it. The Bible also says there will come a day with every knee, and they're not just talking about Christians. There will come a time when the demons, Hitler, everyone who's ever lived, (coughs) will have to bow their knee to to the Lord as Lord, but that doesn't save them. I I guess, you know, just go back to decision. This is, it is a kind of, it's not complicated, complicated. This is really chasing a rabbit down a hole, but in Job, I've always had a weird issue with Satan was hanging out in heaven and said, oh, by the way, God, that fella Job, how is Satan hanging out in heaven? What? Who let him in the door? I mean, God did. Yes. Understand, he's still under the authority of God. We get, this is going back to that thing of those stupid Facebook memes where Satan and Jesus are doing yeah, arm yeah, wrestling. Yeah, yeah. That, no arm that wrestling. is so blaspheme, blasphemy. Yeah. It's such blasphemy right there. Yeah. That, that it, even Satan is under the authority of God, period. He does not do anything. This is, this is hard for us to accept. He doesn't, nothing happens from Satan that God does not allow him to do. And we've got to come back and put our, he is still under the lordship of God. Now, he does not serve him as Lord. There's a difference. Right. It's it's, it's back to authority. You know, and so I just take it from the book of Job, says that all the angels and representatives are doing a presentation before God the Father. It's like the President of the United States sometimes brings people from the other party into the White House. Mm-hmm. It's not so far from human understanding. God does it. God wants to do it. Well, that's the question yeah. that we cannot answer. It's kind of like the Trinity. We'll sit here and debate the Trinity all we want. I can't explain the Trinity. Well, it's, I just have faith in it. It's like Peter when he stood up and he said, because this is part of the oneness teaching that they tried to explain to me why oneness is oneness is. Because Peter stood up and he said, be baptized in the name of Jesus. He didn't say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He just said in the name of Jesus. And that's kind of part of their teaching. Apostolics and, and the oneness. And the united Pentecost. And he has given them authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. That's verse 27. Son of Man is a reference to Daniel, of course, which would not have been lost on the rabbis that he's speaking to. And he's basically claiming that he is the Messiah. He basically just said, I am the Messiah to the Pharisees. So it's not like you can say that he was avoiding never saying it, as I've heard people say that he did. Uh, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Does he mean my voice and come out? 
Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. So really, don't we all have eternal life? It's just what we do with it, right? Uh, By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. See, he just shifted back to first person. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. So he is saying, I am the Messiah who will be judging you at the end. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Okay, that's, that was pretty straightforward. He, he looked him square in the eye in the temple and said, I'm the Messiah. I think this can prove a point, though, that some people get so wrapped up in their religion and stuff that they forget that there's other religions or they forget there's other pieces or they refuse to see other truths in the Bible because they think that, like these Pharisees, they figure this is, this is what we believe is it. There's nobody else, I mean, they can't believe any of this other stuff. And that's why they wanted to kill Jesus because they didn't want to, somebody, the people believing something different than what they were teaching. And their authority. And they're basically, they're, well, I'm going to call it the communist rule over the people at that time because that's basically what they were kind of like communists, dictating the people everything they could do, move, say. So uh, I think that's where all their anger came from, but that's just my opinion. It was dictatorial. Um, I think it's all about power more than theology. And I think they're thinking like attorneys and not like priests because they, 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 they hold both those roles. And the civil attorney side of it has taken over their perspective on faith. And so basically, they, uh, an attorney is going to represent his client, whether his client is guilty or innocent. And it's going to argue to the best advantage of his client regardless. They are going to argue for their power and authority regardless of whether or not they're in the right. And that's what they're doing. They see Christ as a challenge to their authority. And therefore, he needs to be removed in order to protect their power. And they're looking for anything they can accuse him of, even if, you know, if it's a lie, even if he's right, even if they're wrong, still they're going to accuse him because they need to stay in power. They need to win. It, it's, it's a debater's trap. Here's the comical thing. They're trying to uphold the law, and the law says, thou shalt not kill, they want to kill Jesus. Yes, because yes. attorneys aren't about truth. Never have been. They're about winning, yeah. you know? So sarcasm, sarcasm works. Sarcasm alert. Okay. Okay. Sarcasm alert. Did you say religion has a lot to do with political power? Yeah, I did. I did say that. I mean, in the religion, not faith. Okay. And I think, and I, and I think we need to make sure that there is, and I think religion has its purpose, and and we need to keep religion. Please, I'm not saying that there there should not be anything, but we need to have a clear separation of our relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with the church. Because I was reading uh, this week early Assembly of God founders and some of the quotes they made and stuff said, and I can't remember which one of our founders of our denomination said this, that said we really try to avoid this worldly power and being involved in politics because in the history of the church it's kind of we've done it 
is the disastrous for the church and for the world. <laughs> and, and I, I think that's probably fair. Very fair. Yeah. And, and it's because you do, because we, and we're all guilty of it. It's easy for us to sit in judgment over the Pharisees, but we, when we have our own little beliefs and doctrines of faith, and we get just as animate about it. Uh -huh. And when we feel it's challenged, we go to the extreme of defending it, even to the point of not looking at the other side. So yes. there's some truth to what they're saying about yes. it. We're all guilty of this, I think. Is that why they say separation of church and state? Yeah, like, I mean, there's a bit more to the concept of separation between churches. <laughs> that's that's another topic. I just, I, I just, I, I just, that's, you know, I know people make, I like to read a book I disagree with. Hmm? Well, Because I think it expands me and stretches me. Yeah, uh, too. For the sake of a very uh, uh, obscure reference, I just finished reading this book okay. on Whitfield. Uh, Whitfield continually clashed with the people that he was preaching to. But he was preaching a very simple message, salvation through grace of Jesus Christ, period. And he didn't want to get involved in any of the, the denominational conflict, politics, mm -hmm. who's in power. He, just went, he was just preaching. Mm -hmm. And anytime, and even his buddies, he, his fellow preachers were the Wesleys. Wesley got all Calvinist suddenly, uh, you know, out of the blue, and, 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 and Whitfield was absolutely not a Calvinist, and they had this big doctrinal clash, and he couldn't really work with him because they were preaching different messages, and he continually, their whole lives, they kept trying to reconcile, but they, they never could, and uh, in the end, Whitfield kept the peace, they stayed friendly with everybody, but he just avoided the subject. He, he, he stayed on his own little lane. This is the truth. This is what he's preaching and all this stuff about, you know, how you want to interpret heaven and revelation and all that kind of stuff. That's just a distraction. You know, just stick on the way. Yes, stay in the middle. It is so hard to do. It is hard to do. And, but, but it worked. And uh, for the most part, he kind of stayed in his lane. Okay, Kenny, everybody's pointing at you. And uh, okay. Um, you're talking about religious and politics. I think we need people of faith in office, but not the church in office. Does that, that make sense? Yes. So. But just because a person has faith doesn't make them qualified to be in office. Well, that's yeah. true, but. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Sadly, <laughs> well, yeah. it's said that it shouldn't be that way. There's a lot of people that I have fellow brothers to the Lord that I wouldn't vote for them if my life depended on it because they're horrible leaders. Okay. In the interest of keeping politics out of church, <laughs> we're not going to continue this conversation <laughs> because this is a church broadcast and we are studying scripture. <laughs> So there you go. And by the way, our pastor pretty much walks that middle line too. I, and I respect that. Yes, sir, Bill. Yes, sir. Well, it's kind of, it's like the Pentecostal Church of God, the Church of God, and the Assembly of God used to all be one organization back in the beginning. And they all split and went three different directions because of, well, like Church of God or something simple as sanctification. They couldn't agree on, on sanctification. 
So it caused the three of them to split and go become three different organizations. And don't forget the Church of God in Christ who they kicked out because they were black. Yes, I said it out loud. Go. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> oh, there, there was more other issues with our sanctification. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of issues there. Well, I was, I was okay. talking it got very worldly toward the end of that particular revival. <laughs> I just was talking about the Church, the church of God and the Assembly of God and the Pentecost Church of God, those three organizations, they used to be one and then they split. Because yes. They couldn't get along with they each other. Which is well, kind of, you know, little doctrinal. You know, to be fair, we were all one church, but then we split. You know, if you want to get down to it. Yeah, because they were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, okay, I have to throw this in here. Also coming from my, my reading. My uh, esteemed father was a Southern Baptist music minister, and I grew up in a town that was owned by the Southern Baptists. There were five large Southern Baptist churches in Henderson, Texas, and there was a church across church that was about this big, and I'm pretty sure that was it. I, I don't think there were any other denominations in town. There were, I think there might have been a very tiny missionary Baptist church, which is just a slightly different flavor, but uh, that's just w where I grew up. And uh, my father kind of mumbled a lot about the whole, because he, he worked for most of these ministers, and he knew the history of the town. And he says, uh, you know, there's really nothing to, you know, because I was bragging about, oh, you know, the Baptists really have won over this town. This town, old town is Baptist. He goes, well, it's not like they did it. You know, it, he said, if, uh, in fact, it all started with the first Baptist church that grew and grew and grew, and they, they saw a success as being even bigger. And so they kept building bigger and bigger, uh, you know, uh, facilities so that they could have more and more people there. And they absolutely refused to plant another church somewhere else. They did not pour their funds into, into missions. They poured their funds into their own growth and building their own power because the people involved in this church were the movers and shakers in town and it was all about hobnobbing in business and you know talking to your banker in the pew. That was part of it too, you know? And so people would join their church for the social connections and business connections that you get, it was better than the Masonic Lodge. You know, you need to join the Southern Baptist, First Baptist Church. First, not second. That, the, the wrong people joined that one. So, eventually, if, if, if we are not following the Great Commission, according to the esteemed Dwayne Evans, uh, God's going to make the Great Commission happen all on its own. And they end up having a big fight and two ministers fight with each other and one minister throws a big huffy fit and he leaves the church and half the church goes with him. So in defiance, they move to the other side of town and they start Southside Baptist Church. And uh, we have another big church grow up on the other side who are people that hate the first church who is still doing just fine. And it can, both sides continue to grow and the word expands and both sides get to be pretty large again. And then First Baptist has another fight and Eastside Baptist Church is born. Yes. <laughs> There wasn't a north side, that was called something else. It was like it was like west side, east side, north side, and Trinity. I think that's what it is in Henderson. And First Baptist right there down in the middle of town. And, and they, they, they have a compass. Uh, and all of those churches were planted after churches, church fights, and none of those ministers get along. You know, if God, if we're not going to love each other, 
and spread the word, God will use our anger and spread the word. And I think that's what was happening here. You know, the whole time they're saying, imagine what would have happened if Whitfield and the Calvins, uh, not Cal the uh, Wesleys, had gotten along. There would have been this huge sweep across England. And I thought, yes, and it would have never gotten out of England. You know, he would have stayed in he would have stayed in England and been hugely prosperous and never gotten to the United States and never planted churches across the entire thirteen colonies. You know, good grief, this man did work. You know, so but it was you know, and they kept talking about these two separate streams of awakening. That was one big, huge stream of awakening. You know, let let let's face it. Uh, you know, sometimes God, I don't know, God yeah. may even. Finigle a relationship a little bit just to make sure that everybody gets out there and gets busy. Well, he did it to the apostles because they were told to go. They were told to not stay in Jerusalem. They were told to go out. Well, they stayed in Jerusalem until they were persecuted, and when the persecuting started, they scattered, and then they did what they were what supposed to do. What an excellent example. Yes, that's exactly my point. I mean, they, 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 they didn't. They, they, they didn't do what I they were. I bet they did. So, you know, but it's like, and I think it's weird how churches, some, some states have certain churches and not certain churches. Because, like, if you go to Mississippi, the majority of the churches in Mississippi are, are, are Methodist. I mean, the, the majority of all the churches are Methodist. It's, it's, In my experience, it's what's next door. Better than what I would it's do. what's it's what's available. But I've got I, I use this as a joke when you were getting on being late to Sunday school one time. Said, Well, I've got about 15, 20 churches between my house and this church that I could go to and be on time. True. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I choose to come to this church. I've got churches I I got three churches within walking distance. That is a fair answer. Okay, so what, what, what do you think? I, and it's a question. It's, a, it's the honest question I put out there. I don't actually have the answer because some, some people are drawn to the charismatic Pentecostal message and the style that we have. Some are more drawn to Baptist. Some are drawn more to Methodist uh, and so on. Uh, could that be, you know, just God's allowing it to happen because – this person will never go to a charismatic Pentecostal church, but they will go to a well Methodist church. My answer, which is contrary to that, has a historical view, and that is I've been researching people throughout Texas American history, and uh, 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 John Brewster, the son of William Brewster, who founded the Plymouth Colony, they were. Early Presbyterians, we'll call them that, the established separatist church that established it there. Uh, John moves into uh, a, an expansion of land 40 miles south of Plymouth and becomes <gasps> a Baptist, much to the embarrassment of all of his Presbyterian relatives. Now, why would the son of the elder become a Baptist? I wonder, because, and the only answer I can have is there was a Baptist church right there, and it's a 40-mile drive back to Plymouth. I think that's valid, but we live in a society now, we got a church in every corner. 
Yes, but you know, but but you know, why why are the Hargraves, Judy's family, why are they Pentecostal? And and so I was looking for some kind of long, you know, because I would like to talk about this long history of Pentecostalism. Well, that's not there. You know, uh, last generation they were Church of Christ. Before that they were Baptists. Before that they were Methodists. Before that they were Presbyterians. Because every time they moved, the next generation was in another place next to another group of people that had another cultural tradition. And, and they end up falling into now, that. It was, a question, it was an open question. Though. I don't think, because it also depends on who you're born. I was born to Assembly of God family. Uh, Okay. <laughs> I've been born to a Methodist family. I am out of time, and I'm going to end on this. Your denominational flavor does not matter. It is all about Jesus Christ's salvation through grace and grace alone, free grace. Amen, George Whitfield. That's the bottom line, and as long as you can embrace that, the rest is details. And with that, I am signing off. Goodbye. Yeah, you had to say that on tape.